the world around the world that's a little lyrical chunk for you a little treat from daft punk uh and this is radio free daft bag i'm daft donovan i am tomas arth balter that was definitely a better than mine but that was kind of a low bar uh in our in our honoring of daft punk at the time of the program because hey they broke up and some of you yeah. are like, hey, I'm sick of that band. Uh, get lucky. I heard that a trillion times. Sick of it. But they got You're a lot wrong. of stuff, folks. You would they be, got a you deep would be catalog. incorrect. They it's, got a deep catalog. They've been around 20, was like 29 years, 28 so, years, something crazy like that. Uh, first single out in 93, the fucking new wave out on like a weird Scottish label whose name, I'm looking it up. What the fuck? <laughs> Daft Punk. The new wave. 1994 out uh, on Soma Records. Something like that. They were great. Uh, they, again, it's one of those bands that's very popular and kind of omnipresent that I think sometimes that makes people get sick of them uh, and sleep on them a little bit. I've yeah. seen some negativity toward Daft Punk on Twitter. Uh, I don't like that. Yeah. You know, you could. Dance music is not for everybody, uh, but this is all to say that th- this is a band that was very impactful to me. Uh-huh. Uh, Same. Discovery and homework in particular, soundtrack for a lot of college, soundtrack to get through a lot of anxiety attacks sometimes. There was like yeah. my, a couple of those songs were like my calming music. Uh, so definitely bummed. And when they were touring, I was too young, so it's been like, 10 years of oh man what if they do it this year and it it definitely sucks to know that it's fully not gonna happen (laughs) uh i saw somebody's somebody's analysis was that uh french touch is kind of on a comeback like it's like gearing up to become the big genre again for a little while and uh somebody said that you can't have a comeback tour if you never go away so maybe the thought is daft punk is breaking up so that they can uh pull it back around for a reunion tour. Uh, I I hate to live in false hope, but this is a false hope that I will allow myself. We're, we're, we're fans of Daft Punk. We've been living in false hope for 10 fucking years. <laughs> well, it's a little bit longer. And like LCD, they went away and then they came back, did a That's reunion. True. It was fucking great. I didn't think I'd ever get to see them. So fingers crossed. Uh, but we're bummed about that. Hence, yeah. top of the show. That's it. We got good news, though, Arthur. Yes, we do. Uh, I want to introduce everybody to Will Nguyen, the Star Trek communist. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me, beaming into the 21st century for my communist future. Uh, do you think Daft Punk made it to the 24th century? Uh, absolutely. Um, I think so. Uh, Hell yeah. So for all of the Star Trek fans that may or may not be listening to this show... Uh, the only reason why in Next Generation they only played Mozart and Beethoven and Classical is because those were um, free use, basically. They didn't have any copyright. So basically, it allowed them to just play that music for royalties. But if they could pay royalties for, like, oh, Bob Dylan or the Beatles or, of course, the Beastie Boys, of which the new Trek, you know, have more money, they can play Beastie Boys all the time, like Sabotage. Um, why not, right? So... Uh, I think that's why uh, some of the new er- newer iterations of Trek, like Lower Decks, they talk about, you know, they can just play like, you know, metal rock. They can play, you know, um, they can do all these sort of funny things that uh, previous Trek, you know, just kind of was all classical, was all a little more sophisticated. Why wouldn't there be hip hop or Daft Punk in the future? I mean, the aliens in Discovery, some of them look like Daft Punk. Um, so, I mean, why not? It would just be considered classical music, right? You know, Daft Punk, Kanye, we considered, you know, just this deep classical genre. And that's what's fun about this type of stuff in the future. Like something as mundane and as silly as like, you know, Katy Perry will be something that we looked over as, you know, antique music. Uh, I introduced you as, as the Star Trek communist. Uh, I found you through 
uh, uh particularly a group called what is it the bell riots are a prophecy is that the name of it uh, the Bell Rites are obviously, and Gabriel Bell is our leader. That's right. Uh, which is a deep cut reference to the past tense episode. I actually went back and watched that episode during the unrest over the summer mm-hmm. uh, as a way of kind of reminding myself that there's, you know, whenever there's there's social difficulty and there's unrest, there can be something better on the end of it. And so I had, I sort of watched that to settle myself and recenter myself in the idea that these that, you know, these kind of upheavals are ultimately a positive thing, that these are the kind of thing that we have to see in a society as unjust as ours. Um, and that, you know, it's it was kind of like a way of me telling myself it's going to be OK, uh, was reminding myself of that episode, those episodes in particular. That episode is very much a reminiscent of you know, current day. I mean, it's 2024. That's not that, that's not much further from now. So that's why it's so uh, prescient. Uh, Where, where does your journey with Trek begin and where does it intersect with communism? Like uh, what, what's, what's your first series that you started with uh, Star Trek and who's your, who's your favorite theorist? (laughs) Also for the folks at home uh, and for me, uh, a quick uh, question to tag that with: What is Star Trek? <laughs> a bunch of nerds, just a bunch of nerds. Right? <laughs> um, so, what? I'll take that question first. What is Star Trek? It's the decidedly less cooler cousin of Star Wars, although it's starting <laughs> to change. But it'll always be the shadow of Star Wars. Although I'll probably get harangued for saying that. Although I like both. Um, I like Star Trek more than Star Wars, obviously. It'll always be in that shadow of of Star Wars, right? It's like the same thing, you know, Spock, you know, Darth Vader, the same thing, right? And so it's just um Star Trek is kind of like the dorkier brother. Star Wars tries to be a little bit more sophisticated than Star Wars. Although I'll say this: Star Wars is a little bit more sophisticated than people give it credit for, and Star Trek is not quite as sophisticated as its fans like to think it of it as. Although I say that as a Star Trek fan. I think there's like a little balancing act to kind of understand like how Star Trek exists and continues to uh, kind of evolve as like this this right. conglomeration that's you know evolved over fifty plus years. Um, but then to answer Arthur's question, um, my favorite uh, series was Next Generation, of of which I think is common for a lot of people that grew up you know as like a late millennial like I did, watched it on syndication. Their Star Trek was, you know, watching a bald captain like Patrick Stewart uh, be very captainish and talk about problems. Um, and that was my entry point because you saw it on reruns all the time, like on Saturday, random Saturday evenings or random like weekday afternoon, you'll see it on on um, on the TV. Um, how that ties into why am I a Marxist, why am I a communist, like why why I consider myself all these types of things. Is it just a gag? Is it just a joke? Um, I would say, you know, it's certainly not a gag or a joke. I'm a, I'm a huge dork. I'm a huge fan. I'm actually wearing a uniform on this, on this little podcast right now. And I'm also, yes, I'm a communist revolutionary socialist. How do the two come hand in hand? And I think you could obviously draw a through line from the, the universe of Trek through to socialism, saying that in the Star Trek universe, the, the reason why I like Star Trek and why it's different than Star Wars is that Star Trek is ostensibly about us in the future. Star Wars is about... The galaxy far, far away a long time ago, right? So Star Trek is humanity in the future. We figured it out and we explore this, explore the stars. But it's on Earth. It's a one world government. They've actually, they've alluded to the fact that there are no borders. There are no national borders. There's a one world government. They've eliminated uh, ostensibly poverty, war, greed, hunger, all this type of quote unquote liberal hippie type stuff. You know, and, and a lot of that was around Gene Roddenberry at that time during the 60s coming up with these ideas that we could transcend just Cold War Armageddon, right? But arguably, these things are not just utopian pipe dreams. Like, oh, we can have a one world government, as unbelievable as that sounds. We can eliminate poverty, greed, hunger, all those types of stuff through the application of Marxism, right? Through the application of socialism, right? It's not just this, this bullshit pipe dream. Uh, of which we just, you know, pretend we can just never, you know, pretend that we want to get there, but never get there, right? When you think about it, um, it's eminently achievable, 
right? But you actually have to tackle the problem that that prevents us from achieving those things. And what is that? That's capitalism. That's private property. That's that's you know corporations. You know, you know, having a piece of paper saying we own you, we own this property, we own your labor, and you know, screw you. We you know you you work for us. Otherwise, you have the freedom to starve or you have the freedom to be homeless, right? And uh, we actually can have that future right now. And the reason why I know that is that we just look around where oh, yeah. how much food is wasted on a daily basis. If you ever worked in retail, restaurant business, grocery stores, they, they literally throw out so much food. It's a crime, right? And, and, and um, the earth itself actually has the ability to feed 10 billion people. And yet there are millions of people that starve. Why is that? It's because the private, um, private property. The profit motive saying it's actually uh, more profitable for us to have people starve. No one's gonna, no one's gonna make a buck feeding people, right? You, you have to, you have to sell some stuff in order to right. feed people and house people, right? So we already live in this post-scarcity world of Star Trek, right? And that's why a lot of people would like to say that you only need the only way to get to that world is if you have a magic box, like in Star Trek, where it's called a replicator. You can actually replicate food, you can replicate clothing, and at a touch of a button, it's, it's, it's almost like magic. And they say that's the only way you can get to that future, right? Uh, whereas I would argue, and many others will argue with me, is that we actually already live in this post-scarcity world. We have the ability to provide for people. We have the ability to provide um, housing, food, uh, shelter, healthcare, and no one has to die of starvation or um, exposure or thirst, it's not that hard to solve those problems. But it's hard to solve it when you have a buck to be made, right. and you have to make a buck off of someone, right? So we actually, you know, that's why the two go hand in hand. You want to get to that place where there's a one world government, there's no national borders, which by the way, borders only exist because capitalism needs to divide the working class along borders. You know, you're on one country, you know, you have to be behind these artificial lines. You have to compete against another worker on this artificial line, and you're somehow better than the other worker, right? Racism and nationalism, and nationalism are used to divide the working class. Capitalism needs borders to pit workers against each other, right? So it doesn't matter. These borders are made up. Who cares, right? So just why can't we get to a place where we just make sure everyone's housed, fed, doesn't die of just basic, um, you know, medical, uh, lack of medical care? It's because, you know, there are landlords that exist, right? Those bastards exist, right? Those those people that just you know right. extract rent from people just because, right? So that's the only way to get to that is you actually through socialism, through a, a break uh, with capitalist pop property relations, right? So you know it's not this far uh, far fetched future, and that's why I think so many people make that connection. They want to get to that Star Trek future. It sounds so great, um, and there's a way to get there, and that's why the two go hand in hand. I think applying the, the the how to actually get to the you know the captain picard uh that we see on tv uh i saw a photograph of you the other day um you had a you know like the only parallel that i can draw in my life uh is is tabling at like the university um like student group day yeah. where everybody gets together and you put your little uh your little thing out. I was the president of the electronic music club at the Ohio state university. That was my yeah. table experience. Um, but, uh, you were actually out doing the work, uh, you know, showing people what's possible and, uh, giving people, uh, leftist literature. And, uh, I just wanted to thank you for doing that, for getting out in the world and, and, uh, sharing these ideas with people. That's another thing too, uh, with what you were with what you were talking about there, Will, we're also that kind of hopelessness that there's no way to get to a better future, like also serves capitalists. It, you know, prevents you from like, if, if it's an impossibility, it's a lot easier to ignore it and be told no, you know, than when it actually is. And they need it to seem like an impossibility so they can keep raking in fucking money, uh, which is terrible. So uh, you telling me this about, uh, Star Trek is good to hear because I feel like like a lot of sci-fi either exists still within kind of like a capitalist type system or kind of like a dystopia. It's interesting to me uh, that one's out there that has like this more positive and not just positive, but like within a socialist framework spin. Uh, I'm curious, do you, do you guys know if the writers on that 
uh, were on the left or if that was part of their intention. Do you know any of the story with that? Uh, yeah, I could, I could, uh, I could take a, uh, a grab. I mean, uh, take a, a shot at answering that. I think it's, um, it's contradictory in the sense that I, I think a lot of Star Trek um, writers aren't, weren't consciously Marxist. They're, they're liberals, right? They're like Hollywood liberals that, um, you know, that's where a lot of the shows come from, right? Uh, comes from kind of that, that uh, liberal mindset. But liberal mindset doesn't necessarily mean a break from capitalism per se. Uh, but it does, it does provide questions or at least ask questions that can only actually only be resolved through Marxism. So when, you know, you know, it's that John Lennon song, imagine, right? Imagine all the people, imagine the world without religion, imagine all, you know, all of us in that, you know, getting along, getting together, right? It goes, it buys into that kind of that, that, uh, that stereotype that liberals, just these dreamers, these, these liberal hippie utopians, you know, give peace a chance, those types of stuff, right? Whereas we understand, as Marxists, as a Marxist, we understand like uh, the, the true fulcrum of conflict in society, the true fulcrum of progress in society is actually class struggle. It's actually a line the Communist Manifesto saying the history of, uh, of, of history up to this point is the history of class struggle, meaning uh, that's actually how you advance any type of, of progress is, is the threat of the working class actually taking power over the ruling class. Um, so sometimes when we say we want just world peace, Right. Or every time around Christmas time, we're like, hey, wouldn't it be great if we had world peace around Christmas time, right? And then once that holiday is over, it becomes just like a, a Hallmark card uh, sentiment. Uh, whereas Marxists, we understand there's actually a way forward to that. Um, it's not a utopian idea of, of eliminating war as a, as a concept, just as a utopian concept. It's understanding what is the root causes of war? Why is war fought, right? You know, it, it goes into the idea of why, why capitalists exists and why they exploit people right so liberals these writers of star trek they probably envisioned like sci like any other good sci-fi they envision a world a better world because their current world isn't so great and they say hey in the future we resolve these problems we don't have to worry about racism uh sexism uh we don't have to worry about war anymore you know that's why you had hikaru sulu and uhura on the bridge of the original enterprise right to say that you know the cold war wasn't a thing anymore in the future that we could have uh, you know, a black person on the bridge, you know, ad addressing those racial concerns, right? But they never ask you, right, how you get there, kind of to borrow that line for Enterprise. You know, it's a long road getting from there to here. Star Trek never really explains it. They just say we get there. Uh, but like you said, Donovan, even that in and of itself presents a stark difference than a lot of the dystopian sci-fi that we get all the time, right? From The Expanse, Battlestar Galactica, it's all just like Walking Dead. You're just like, man, the world sucks, the world ends, um, and actually betrays actually a great um, bias in the sense that without optimism, without understanding how history works, how class struggle works, it's actually a lot easier for, for writers uh, to give in to cynicism or pessimism there's a line that says it's easier to envision the end of the world than a better world, right? That's the that's the dearth of of the liberal imagination. They can't see a way forward. So I think um, with Star Trek, there was a time when when there was a when there was a utopian edge to the liberal writing to it, so that even liberal writers could posit a future that kind of backed itself into a Marxist explanation, but was never explicitly Marxist. And that's there's a perfectly reasonable explanation as to why that is. Back in the 60s, the, the U.S. was ascendant in its, in its Cold War dynamic, right? It was, it was a lot more optimistic in terms of its, its uh, position in the world. Fast forward to around 1991, Arthur knows this with Star Trek VI, Undiscovered Country, right? There was that great line, the end of history, right? You know, this is, you know, this is the, end of the end of history for, the, for Starfleet when they made peace with the Klingons, right? It was borrowing from Francis Fukuyama's line, end of history with the fall of the Soviet Union. At that time, the capitalists thought they had won. It was it. It was it was smooth sailing from here on out. We're going to get to that future in, in, in no time. What happened about five years later? The dot-com bubble burst. You had 9-11. You had the Iraq War. You had recessions. Uh, you had the Great Recession. You had Occupy. You had Black Lives Matter, right? So then all of a sudden, the mood changes. The mood changes dramatically. And that's because of the crisis of capitalism. It, you know, it was going through this boom time. It supposedly won the Cold War. And then all of a sudden, it all went to hell, right? And then, then we're still in this, we're still in Afghanistan, 
that's like what, 20 years ago, right? We're still fighting these wars, right? You know, children born during that time. Yeah. So now I'm listening to like, what dystopian hell is this, right? And, right. and that actually is then reflected back into Star Trek, which is one of the more optimistic properties, which is why you sometimes see in Picard, in Discovery, right? It's like a darker tone. It's because the liberal writers themselves are like, wow, what has happened? I thought we would have figured this thing out already. And all of a sudden, it seems like the problems are only exacerbating. So it's kind of like a catch-22. It's like the writers were conscious of it, but you know, if they're not Marxists, they're not conscious class um, analysts of these events, then they'll just kind of go with the mood of the times. And the mood of the time right now is one of crisis. It's the one of right. just supposedly, you know, things aren't, like get, aren't getting better. What's going on, right? And that's why it's, you know, uh, the new Star Trek, you know, there's a, there's a critique of it being too dark. It's too pessimistic. I think it's, over, it's overblown a little bit. But there's a reason why those types of stories are being told. They're being reflected on the current situation right now. And, and um, But with that said, overall, uh, Star Trek does have an optimistic vision overall in the sense that humanity can still figure it out in the future. You know, they can put aside their differences. There's a one-world government. That's still a huge step forward than what we are right now. And I think that still sets it apart than a lot of other sci-fi franchises where it's all about like the world has been destroyed uh you know we're running from cylons or we're running from like right. you know terminators right so uh even at its more pessimistic it still has a, a, the optimistic core to it the fact that humanity has survived and will figure things out extremely good explanation again i, <laughs> I appreciate it now i kind of i feel like i gotta check this show out after this episode i want to feel this <laughs> this sounds good you at least gotta uh, get into uh, next generation. I, I feel like that that's required viewing for anybody. Uh, for anybody, everyone's yeah. gonna watch next generation. Definitely could use something with a little lighter tone than The Sopranos because my girlfriend and I are like five seasons in on that. And dear God, I, I need some. <laughs> I need some light, man. Uh, start on season three of Next Generation. Good uh, times. I'm, a, I'm an evangelist for skipping the first two because uh, they were definitely trying to find their footing early on and were making a lot of missteps but uh yeah by about season three they pull it around and get get rocking and rolling good times well well thank you very much for for sharing that uh incredible explanation of of uh the the intersection between uh liberal writers and their and backing into uh a, a communist explanation of a utopian future uh very much appreciate that now we get into the meat and potatoes of this program which is dick and fart jokes mm -hmm. uh I would and like to hear advice and sincere advice. Of course, of course. Uh, I would like to hear if you would please share it. Your most embarrassing dating or relationship experience. I gotta say, I'm. It's probably gonna be very tame, almost to the point where it's very, it's very laughable. Um, but I mean, <laughs> as as Arthur knows, I've I've a very I'm a very wholesome person, and then I'm not. It's part of kind of like uh, my Star Trek personas. I'm just very wholesome. It's, it's very true. So even my my worst dating story is incredibly very very wholesome. But basically, you know, my my on the on the first date of of, of who would end up being my wife uh, is uh, we went out to you know uh, uh, an Indian restaurant for the first time, and um, I really liked her. She really liked me. We ordered um, my favorite dishes, which also happened to be the spiciest dishes possible. Hell yeah. Um, but, you know, and I also enjoy eating. It's the pleasures of, of life. Um, so, you know, that's how much, uh, that's how I knew how much I liked her is that I forgot the fact that I was on a date. So I was just enjoying eating the food. Um, but of course, it was, ended up being way, way too mm. uh, spicy. So my nose was running and snot's going everywhere. And at, this, at the time, I thought it was like, oh, man, you know, this was uh, not good. Going to blow this first date. But yeah, you know what? I don't know. It's, it was a good meal. And it was a good conversation. I didn't think, you know, anything was going to happen of it. But then at the end of the, at the, end of the date, she gave me a kiss uh, of her own volition because of it. And then, you know, years later, he would say, you know, that's, you know, one of the things I really enjoyed about you is that you're willing to really just uh, let it go and just, you know, <laughs> eat the spicy food, have your nose be all snotty running everywhere. And, you know, I still find it very attractive and still found it very endearing. Um, and, you know, I think that was my, you know, in retrospect, when she told me that I was very embarrassed because I was just like, oh, that sounds like something I would not want to do. Thanks for not telling me that. Um but it ended up working out really well. But again, I say this and it sounds silly because it sounds so like that's your, you know, your most wildest story. But 
I mean, it really is. I mean, I, there's really nothing else in terms of like uh, stores. I think that could be that would be uh, of that category. Unfortunately, maybe I'm not the right person for it. But that's that's what I have is that uh, you know runny snot on that first date. But it ended up being really good because you know we're married now. We actually have a baby, so uh, it, yeah. was, it worked out really well. So. We love to hear it. No, you know, we've had a few wife guys on the show. Uh, Brian and Alex, Brian from Street Fight and Alex Patak from uh, Pod Damn both were like, I've been married for like 10 years. I don't know how good my stories are. Uh, <laughs> but we'd love to see something wholesome like that too. Yeah. And just when, you know, things like that, uh, sincere kind of shows of vulnerability, even yeah. with something silly like that, that is a really nice thing to see in a person. And there is a lot to be learned from that, I think. Uh, the idea of just, uh, you know, really being your authentic self, even on the first uh, encounter with a new potential romantic partner and how that can be uh, very attractive. I think there's a lot to be learned there. Uh, thank you for sharing. Uh, and, and, and now, 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 <laughs> we go into the, into the, the, the meat yeah! of the program. Uh, and we answer first a Reddit question. Uh, this Reddit question is going to go like this. This this is more like a uh, like a suggestion than a uh, than a question. But I, I I found it germane to the program. Uh, here I present you with a really somebody imploring us to make Tuesdays sexy again. Right on. Hi friends. Howdy. So I can, <laughs> howdy. So I've been thinking a lot about the days of the week recently. You've got Mondays, which everybody hates. Wednesdays, which are hump days and a great day to get down and sexy. Then you got Thursday through Sunday, which are basically the weekend and an excellent time to spend entirely in bed or wherever else you guys are having sex these days. <laughs> On the couch. <laughs> in the car. Whoa. But everyone is forgetting about Tuesdays. Like, what are they for? It is my personal opinion that we should find some way to make Tuesdays sexy. Now, I don't know how we do that, but I'm sure we can figure it out. How are you making Tuesdays sexy? Me personally, I'm exploring this subreddit and creating this post and listening to my favorite Spotify playlist while doing other things. What? Tuesdays sexy again. <laughs> I was posted by highway underscore strong. Are, are they browsing Reddit and... And jerking it at the I same think they're time, it and browsing Reddit and listening to their favorite playlist. That's a combination. <laughs> That's a good combination of things. It's impressive multitasking. I will say we record this beloved program yeah. on Tuesdays, so we're already making Tuesdays sexy again, my friend. I'm doing everything I can to make Tuesdays sexy again by recording this podcast on Tuesdays. I think we're on fire for that. Well, what are you doing to make Tuesdays sexy? <laughs> do you have yeah. anything also like again because we what were they sexy before i'm i'm, I'm curious right. here well i'm gonna use this opportunity to say, to, uh, to say and, and, to, to, and to shamelessly plug the fact that there's nothing sexier than being involved politically <laughs> and making a, and making and doing work to make a better world possible so Damn you know right. to, to go back to what uh, uh arthur had mentioned he said hey Arthur said that, uh, oh, he saw a picture of me uh, handing out some literature and some pamphlets, you know, on, on campus. And which before the before COVID, we could actually do that. Obviously, now we can't. We actually have to, you know, not do those types of things. But actually, there's actually tremendous interest in, in politics, even during uh, this period, uh, because of this period. And we still have to find a way to connect with people. Uh, so we do a lot of our meetings uh, online, virtually through Zoom, right? I know everyone's sick of Zoom, but Zoom is actually very effective towards, you know, having uh, meetings with people. Talk about Marxism. Talk about socialism. Talk about uh, why does it seem that no one knows what the fuck they're doing? Our leaders, right? Our institutions, it's a complete collapse, right? They have no idea what they're doing. Things seem to be getting worse and worse and worse and worse, and there seems to be no way out of it, right? People want these answers, right? Their, their frustration comes through. So, you know, there's nothing, you know, I would say sexier or nothing more you know invigorating than you you knowing that you're not alone that that you're not just like am i going insane am i going crazy that this doesn't seem right that there's a pandemic going on five hundred thousand people dead and we're supposed to actually still meet deadlines answer emails pretend everything is fine you know all this type of stuff where it seems like 
you're the only one, right? Or you hear that lie. We're all in this together when we know deep down that's not true. We got rich assholes fleeing to their vacation homes. They can survive the pandemic, but essential workers, they have to go every day into work, risking their lives, right? There has to be an explanation of that kind of stuff. And the explanation of that is Marxism, socialism, class struggle, learning all of these types of things, and more importantly, organizing, right? So when you see that you're not alone in doing this type of stuff, that energy, that passion that people have, I think it's infectious, right? You know, and, and you know, um, it's something that, you know, it, it sustains you, I think, going forward, right? So finding other people of like-minded passion can kind of, you know, inspire you and people can find romance in there or, or oftentimes not romance, right? Just find comrades to be comrades, right? You know, because humans are social creatures by, by definition, right? And this pandemic has cut across that, right? They've kind of eliminated the key aspect of social connection, but we still need to socially connect with people, right? And I think one of the best ways to, to find that passion is to figure out ways like why are things so messed up? And there is a way forward. There's, there's, there's no time for cynicism. There's no time for pessimism. There's a way forward. There are things that we can do by learning history of, of previous class struggles, of previous revolutions, and learning the way forward. So I think that for me is how I make Tuesday sexy is having these, these reading groups talking about Marxism, talking about Lenin, Trotsky, Marx, Engels. Um, talking about, you know, uh, what is the Marxist analysis of the, the Black Lives Matter movement, right? You know, to, to fight for Black Lives, you actually have to fight for socialism, right? It's, it's going back to learn the revolutionary legacy of Malcolm, uh, of, of Martin Luther King as he was going towards socialism, learning about all these types of these struggles, right? Learning that, you know, this is the, this is the human experience, is, is, is learning to struggle. And, uh, you know, you work side by side with people and that kind of brings up all these these these, uh, these passions and, and and emotions that make life worth living, and you know I think that I think naturally invigorates people. So for me, that's kind of like my 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 plug. But at the same time, it's also true. I think that's how people kind of get through this type of stuff and find their their real their real uh, their real passions. For sure, <laughs> especially right now, we've had listeners asking about being lonely you know how to socialize how to meet people right now and that is a good way and like we, i don't know we talk about with picking up activities you kind of have something in common immediately definitely good to have ideology like good ideology uh in common too uh so good plug <laughs> thank you like that's it. a great there there is nothing sexier than young stalin my god that's what a true. Fucking, what a fucking fox that dude was. Absolutely. <laughs> would. I would. 100% would. Uh, uh, I would. Yeah. I would answer. I would read the next question. That's what I, I would like that very much. Okay. I'm going to do it. What is this question? Where does this oh, take right. us? This question. Question, the question box is after this. I was supposed right. to read the first one. You absolute but, menace. I, but hold on. There is a place where this question takes us. Oh, where's that? <laughs> it's the paraphilia pantry. Whoa. I got drops, baby. I'm using them. Hell yeah. Uh, it's starting to, to come to terms, learn how to operate your power. Like the hero <laughs> in a movie and the first thing that's so good. And we put the drop on repeat by accident. But now we're fading it out. Yep, perfect. Yeah, you nailed it, my friend. Yeah. Uh, your powers. Here's the question for this week's paraphilia pantry. I, F30, have a fetish for fat guys, and I both love it and hate it. I, F30, have recently come to accept that I have only ever really properly orgasmed when I have been pounded by big guys, six foot tall, nearly 300 pounds. I love their wide shoulders, thick thighs, big ass, and soft, jiggly belly. Nothing turns me on more than his gut on top of me during doggy or blowing him. I had a boyfriend who used to pat his belly and tell me to get on top and ride his fat waves. That was heaven. I am 5'4 and 115 pounds, so I'm pretty petite. It's embarrassing because a lot of bigger men don't find their bodies sexy, so don't like being admired sexually. Is there a way to get over this? 
Just to be clear, I am not into feeding or making guys fat. Thank you for clarifying. That was posted by Tesseract90. Because that is a very different fetish. That's true. Arthur, what details do you have on... Is there a name for... Oh, yeah. Uh, Let's pull pull it up. Let's see. Uh, Let's see. I believe it is just called Fat Fetishism, and it's a sexual attraction to overweight or obese people due to their size or weight. Uh, A 2009 study found that heterosexual male fat admirers preferred females that were clinically overweight and rated both overweight and obese women more positively than slighter individuals. Uh, It doesn't include much detail on women who are into bigger guys, and apparently feederism is a major uh, feature of this fetish, but it appears that this uh, question asker is not not into the feeding, not into the feederism. Not that particular part. Huh. I mean, good for great. Like yeah. I'm excited for you. But they also hate it. How, why are you gonna hate it? Like I think the only reason why she hates it is because it's like a societal, like there's a societal pressure to you know have like a disgust True. around fat people, which sucks. It's like a shitty thing. It's a shitty feature of our society, and something that absolutely will fade uh, when uh, the new socialist republic is formed. Uh, all all bodies will be appreciated under uh, under socialism and communism. Absolutely. Um, they had better sex during the Soviet Union. <laughs> we can get into that later, but it's true. <laughs> um. Yeah, I really don't think there's there's a whole lot to say. Like, fuck yeah, girl. Like, get it. Like, how do you? But like, how? I guess it's like, how is she going to? How is she going to get away from the feelings of like shame and you know, like, oh, I don't know if I like it. Right. Uh, you know, I think that's like with a lot of fetishes on here, and I think our typical stance is as long as you're not harming anybody, uh, or or you know, being Buddy. non-consensual or anything else shitty, it's typically pretty good. Uh but then you have cases like this where you know, you're not you're not really harming anybody with this. My only concern would be like objectifying fat people, sure, like fat guys for a relationship. But I think as long as you're like communicative, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't think a lot of fat guys would be particularly bothered that a, a hot gal was into them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, but I but I don't know. You know, I but I think this is more on the harmless side of things. Yeah, as I have been chased. Oh, as as a, as a chubby individual, I have been chased, and uh, I, I didn't love it. I didn't love it particularly, knowing that they were into me because of a feature of my of my weight. Right. Uh, it's like, oh, I, th- I thought maybe you liked me for me, but you like me for my big. Be- you like me for my propensity to eat, to eat fried bullshit. You like that about me? <laughs> oh. <laughs> um. So yeah, I think be communicative and make sure that uh, you know the your partner's feelings are taken into account and do what you can to minimize uh like it's weird because like that's where you're like you really get off sexually because of their weight but like don't don't be like weird about it maybe like don't be like like for somebody with like mesophilia we talked about on on the patreon uh uh extreme uh uh partialism for breasts like having a partner with uh bodacious bazungas fucking great love it happy for you uh and you're obviously very happy uh but try not to be a fucking weirdo about it you know what i mean like just enjoy enjoy what you enjoy sexually but try not to objectify people i see uh op is saying here too there's a follow-up comment after uh quote-unquote a larger guy is talking about his experience with this and find a guy you like basically be sincere about being into him uh, but uh, OP responds here. I find some larger guys don't feel very comfortable having their belly touched a lot or being told their body is a serious turn on uh, that they that and they don't like getting on top out of fear of crushing me. Uh, I guess this kind of speaks to what I was saying, too. I think it's best just to be direct about this, because, again, with the objectification, like what if somebody develops feelings for you without realizing that and then that comes out, they're insecure with your body, but like you're hyper-focused on it, that's a really shitty and comfortable situation. Yeah. Uh, 
So again, I don't see a problem with this. Just be very direct with people. Yeah. Um, that's the only way to get around any, any strangeness. Uh, because it's when, when you are told that you are attractive because of something that most, that a lot of people or that the society at large deems unattractive, that feels very strange. Um, and it's the kind of thing that I think if you were forthright about and that you talked about with your partner, then maybe you could kind of work around it and, and get through that. Uh, but just, just having that come out, I can see that being very difficult. Yeah. Be forward. Make sure people are comfortable. Don't be throwing your fetish onto people unconsensually. That's not cool. True. All right. Uh, Will, do you have any, do you have any thoughts on the, uh, on the big dating? I would say, you know, you guys nailed it. Basically, I think, uh, you know, outside of the potential of justification piece of it, it sounds pretty harmless, but the fact that she still had to put it into a form of a Reddit question, uh, maybe there's some lingering guilt as to why she has these feelings. Uh, is it coming from a body positive place or you know, is it coming from another place where she has these attractions, but then feels guilty about it and wants to get rid of it? So perhaps some underlying stuff there too. And like I said, you know, I'm an Asian guy. And, you know, if I knew someone that was, you know, uh, pursuing me just because of that, you know, I think that would be uh, a little off-putting, right? Because you want to be seen as more than the just, you know, one particular aspect. You, you want to be greater than the sum of your parts, right? So um, I can get, I can see where, you know, that hesitancy that Arthur alluded to comes from, just being like, oh, exotified or objectified or just this, this um, for lack of a better term, like this thing to be like this novelty. Um, but, you know, if she doesn't actually have those, underlying um emotions and it, it sounds pretty harmless um everyone needs love so i think as long as you love it on the right basis it, it should be fine right you, it's got to be about you love this person not you love this category of people not that you you're, you're you see what i'm saying there's there's got to yeah. be this this kind of sincerity and personal part to it uh, and like you picked up on Will with them expressing a little bit of guilt, I feel like they they do understand that. Uh, but like you said, it is just kind of a, a balancing thing. And so again, I think that I think that being forward uh, and you know, again, looking for the the real connection there, not just I'm sexually attracted to this person because they're this type of of person. Uh, but yeah, shit. You know, as long as you're doing that, that's that's all right. Uh, again, that's, that's a body type that our society tends to denigrate. Uh, and so again, if it's coming from a sincere place, I, I think most people are going to genuinely appreciate that attention. Uh, but you know, be forth, be careful with people's feelings. Uh, kind of the, kind of know the deal. Hell yeah. All right. Hey, uh, uh, I'm reaching my hand, uh, into this big box marked listener questions. What am I gonna what am I gonna find in here? Wait, might I fun. might I trigger some kind of Damn it. segment Damn it. bumper? Yeah. Oh, why is it always why is it always in the question box that's a difficulty? <laughs> yeah, I don't we're we're still figuring this out. Just kidding, that was uh, actually scripted. The whole show was scripted, it wasn't that funny. Yes, hey folks. Question box time. Uh the part of the show where you the listener can send your anonymous questions into us, and we will read them and answer them. Uh, if you'd like to send a question in, you can find a link to the question box at our website, rftb.me, uh, on our Instagram, instagram.com slash radiofreetotebag, or on our Twitter, at rftbpod. Don't have to make an account. There's just a little lick, uh, link you click, and then you type your question in, and then we answer it. And this week, we got two questions. Uh Maybe we, maybe we do the shorter one first. When are you guys having a fuck a fan contest? <laughs> Jesus. Somebody's trying to get down and I respect the hustle, but I don't think we're, I don't think we're that kind of show. That feels a little sterny to me. Doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like, yeah. like a little too, like a little too gross. We get a little, like we get graphic. We get very personal on the show, but it seems a little crass. 
for us to just be like, uh, yeah, send us your fucking <laughs> like intro song. Like, yeah, write us an intro song. And uh, whoever gets picked, we're going to have sex with you. No, that's you not us. Fuck Arthur. <laughs> yeah, you're, you are the one who is uh, who is currently attached. I'm uh, locked up. He's locked up. So it would have to be me. So if that's if that's what you're looking for, if you're looking for Donovan, you can't get that. That's unavailable. Out uh, of stock, baby. <laughs> but you could. If we meet, listener. And and we hit it off. I'm not gonna. I'm not closing down the idea. We're just not gonna have a contest for you to get with me. That's not how we're gonna. That's not how we're gonna. That's not the story we're gonna tell the kids. Uh, how did you meet? <laughs> oh my uh, my fucking bedroom podcasts. That we had a contest where somebody could fuck me, and your mom won. She wrote the best intro song, <laughs> and that's why you exist. That's why yeah, you're on this earth. Yeah, yeah. We can't we can't have that reality coming to pass, man. No. Nobody wants to be the offspring of the RFTB fuck a fan challenge. Uh <laughs> slide into Arthur's <laughs> DMs if you're feeling them. Yeah. Uh what, what was that? I said that's the How I Met Your Mother reboot. When they inevitably reboot that show in five years, that's will be <laughs> the genesis of that. That's yeah, that's that's after seven seasons. That's the that's the punchline. Is that that was how she met his mother? Right. <laughs> it's timely because in quarantine you can't be out there dating around. The only way to find love as a single person is through a fuck a fan challenge. It's the only avenue right now. And so I think that would really you know update it for the modern times. I think that's a brilliant plan. <laughs> okay. Uh, we got another question here. Uh. I'm going to read this one. Hi. Hello. I don't know why I waved. This is an audio format. (laughs) Uh, You might remember me from such previous questions as my partner of five years broke up with me just before COVID. And actually, that's the only one so far. But related to that one, she's been completely avoidant since breaking up. No contact, no blocking on any service we share, but no response either. Cut to the start of this week when she texted me out of the blue to invite me to a casual game of Smash with her friends. Now, that sounds like he was invited to fuck her and her friends, but that's not the case. Smash is Super Smash Brothers. Popular Nintendo video game featuring all-stars from so many different games. They come together, they beat each other up, they throw each other off the platform. I'm not very good, but maybe you are. (laughs) I turned her down because the interaction made me panic so hard. I might as well have been breathing wet concrete, but uh, should I take her up on the offer? If she asks again, I don't have too many close friends as it is. And while we're still in touch, she was one of my best and most positive emotional supports. Uh, It's tough and tangled and I'd love your advice. So just, just to some, just to surmise, like some, sum it all up here. Some, 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 she, the girlfriend is like, we're done, like right before COVID lockdown, it's over. And right. now we're nearly a year after. So it's been about a year. Uh, doesn't feel like it at all. Uh, a year doesn't feel like that's passed. Um, and now girlfriend's like, ex-girlfriend now is like, do you want to come over and play Super Smash Brothers with me and my friends? And uh, if it caused you such visceral anxiety to describe it as yeah. breathing wet concrete, I don't think that you should take her up on it. You're definitely not ready to do it. And uh, I th- I think that you, yeah, I think that you just don't do it. I fully agree. I, I don't think you'd be asking the question if you were fully comfortable with this. And uh, again, like, it's just kind of the shitty part of this pandemic. It's really fucking hard to be single. It's hard to meet people. And so it's, I'm sure, appealing when you have somebody that you had something with reach back out. Uh, But I would just ask yourself, are you comfortable if you go over there with her and her friends and she's dating one of them? Like, can you deal with that? You're not ready for this. You know, I hadn't even considered that she could be dating one of the people there that like invite. Oh, my God. You walk in and then she fucking lays one on somebody and you die there on the fucking carpet. Like, no. No, you can't go. You can't do this to yourself. Not worth the risk. Uh, 
Yeah, I just had I just absolutely shuddered at the thought of yeah, oh yeah, you can't do it. I'm I'm nervous on your behalf now. Will, are you on the same page with this? I gained a uh, guess by your expression. <laughs> uh absolutely. That's that's uh what's that um again, I'm gonna bring it back to Star Trek. There's a line in Star Trek too where Kirk yeah. tells to what tells McCoy, you know you as a medical doctor know the danger of reopening old wounds because McCoy was talking about, you know, Carol Marcus, you know, kind of trying to, you know, say when it rains it pours, right? And Carol Marcus is an old flame of Kirk. And of course it was a raw thing for for Kirk to kind of um to be dealing with this type of stuff. You know, in that particular movie it wasn't about uh Carol Marcus having another relationship with someone else, but just the mere potential uh of seeing her again brought up all these flood of emotions. And I think, you know, you guys brought up a good point. What if, you know, you're thinking of all these uh, potential rekindling of emotions? She's just saying, hey, just come over and hang out, right? That's setting up for a complete, the expectations are completely out of whack. So you're, you're just setting yourself up for this just gigantic fall where like you are thinking, like, oh, man, I can rekindle something. And she's like, hey, just come over and hang out. And, you know, I happen to be dating someone here, too. It's like happened so many times with so many people. And I think, you know. Now right. more than ever is the time for you not to kind of put yourself in that situation. That doesn't mean that that situation in the future is always going to be that type of, you know, dicey situation. But, you know, if you're already vulnerable right now, best not to risk it. Um, and if you are going to do it in the future, you know, go with some other people, right. You know, go in a position where, you know, you really are, have no um, illusions in getting back together. Maybe you're with someone else, whatever, or maybe, you know, other signs that you're truly over this person, but like that's just that's just asking for trouble. Exactly. I know somebody who's been in this situation before. I I tend to like to maintain a relationship with exes. I have a lot of valuable friendships out of that. Uh, but that all can't always happen immediately, especially if there's bad feelings around it. And sometimes even a year is not enough. You know, so it might not it might not ever be okay. Uh but chances are, I think it will over time. Again, I think you just got to wait to that point. If you're, if just thinking about this is giving you this anxiety, again, like imagine what it would potentially be like in person. Uh, she's not expressing romantic interest here. If you really want a friendship and you get to that comfortable point, that's good. But again, if you're, if you're where you're at like this, I just don't think, I think it's too much risk for, you know, not, not much reward, you know? You can play Smash at home. You can play Smash at home with, with other folks. Uh, it's not worth that risk. Smash right. That's right. At this point. Play with your friends, Computer Sephiroth, Computer Kirby, Computer Mr. Game & Watch. That's the only friends you need. Uh, I, whenever video games come up, I, I tend to I do this. Uh, Donovan, who's your main in Smash? Uh, so I've actually have been getting back into ultimate recently, uh, with some friends. One of whom is insanely good. I'm, I'm trying to have him teach me his ways. Mm -hmm. I've been liking, uh, I've been liking Sephiroth, new character that dropped. I've been liking Cloud's pretty cool. Okay. I got a FF7 thing going there, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, fucking Ridley, giant ass dragon character. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, Will, your Super Smash Brother main. Oh man, so I've only really played the one iteration of it and I'm not very good at it, but I mean, uh, I was always partial to Solid Snake. Fuck yeah! Uh, Metal Gear Solid Snake because uh, because only in this game could you have some, someone as serious as Solid Snake, you know, going up against Kirby, going up against Yoshi, right? Like, only in this weird Nintendo mashup is that even a thing. And it somehow works, right? But, you know, I was partial to those kind of characters. And of course, Fox McCloud because how badass of a character is Fox yeah. McCloud, a space, yeah. you know, swashbuckling box pilot who flies around a ship called like the Star Fox. Right? It's wild, right? I mean, the 90s were, were a great time, but those are my two <laughs> Great choice on Snake. I'm a big Metal Gear fan. I, I slept on him right there. I, I play him a decent amount because there's nothing better than just blasting Jigglypuff with a high explosive mortar round with your skin tight camo suit. It is fucking such a great fucking contrast. Uh, I, of course, uh, main Bowser and Mr. Game and Watch. Interesting. Yeah. 
I like, I like Game uh, of Watch all right too. Game of Watch is all right. I liked him as a um just like mechanically, just like all the variety of shit that he can do. Like he has a parry, like he has a um the little uh, bucket. He's got the bucket, the projectile Catches catch. The projectiles, yeah. Uh, and I've never uh, done it successfully. And flipping the bacon, and I liked his, uh, I liked his smashes. I liked his smash moves. He's good. He's got that random one too, that side B, where it's like, mm-hmm. what's going to happen? It could be a one hit kill, or yep. it could be that you it does damage to you, and then you fall off the edge because you forget yep. how your up B works. Yep, I liked robbing people. Rolling the I, I, I would just rob people with that. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, love like you've fully got me on the ropes and I just like, I win. Listener, this is all to say, work on your main, get good at this game, get work on your emotional game. So you're comfortable with this friendship and then show uh, your ex that you're in a good place by just demolishing her in a game of smash bros. No items. (laughs) Final destination. Uh, what else? there's something else people usually do three, uh three, hard three stock final remember. destination no items three stock no items yeah settle it mono mono or claw or little nub <laughs> if you're kirby you get the idea <laughs> uh do you think we got time for one more yeah oh, well that was the end of the question box uh and thank you for sending your questions in and hey again uh if you're a new listener uh, or haven't sent one we'd love to hear your questions rftb.me uh, or any of our social media hit us up uh let's see one more question a little short guy a little, a little stub here uh any men tried ashwagandha I had a I had a low libido due to birth control. Started taking ashwagandha for stress and realized I was suddenly in the mood all the time. Does it work for men too? It's posted by Megatrex. What what is it, Donovan? What is it? It's some kind of like herbal medicine. From what I was reading, it was uh, it comes out of India. I guess it's traditionally used there. Dietary supplement. Let's see. Uh, it's called Withania somnifera. Is the old. Uh, scientific name known commonly as ashwagandha indian ginseng or poison gooseberry which doesn't really sound like <laughs> something to want to eat put that in your body but they've been doing it forever so uh, uh, maybe the berries are poisonous or something and the leaves are good i don't know uh it says traditional medicine yeah traditional indian medicine there's not a whole lot of research on it not much evidence of it doing too much it doesn't even say what kind of the idea for it to do is I think I remember it being a calming thing. I I don't know though. Uh there's a little note. I think there's probably a note on all uh dietary supplements on WebMD right now. There is no good evidence to support using ashwagandha for COVID-19. <laughs> all healthy lifestyle choices and proven prevention methods instead. So don't don't take uh winter, what was it? Deadly winter gooseberry. Yeah. <laughs> Poison gooseberry. Yeah. It's like in the nightshade family. I don't know. I, th- I think I'm going to take a pass on this one. Well, poison gooseberry or winter cherry, which sounds delicious. That is a mixed message. <laughs> I would eat some winter cherries. That sounds great. I would not eat some poison gooseberries, but they're the same thing. Apparently Wikipedia. Uh, Will, do you have any thoughts? Really? <laughs> have you t- do you know what this stuff is? Yeah. Are you hearing I- this? Yeah. No, I don't know what the stuff is. So what you guys just told me is the first I've heard of it. So um, I don't have any experience with it. Um, I mean, I mean, go for it. I mean, who's to say what the side effects are? Who's to say what any effects are affecting people? I feel like if it works in getting you there, it works getting you in the mood. Works, you know, why not? Right? I mean, there's there's so many types of things. You know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in you know you know remedies of all sorts from all different types of um, uh, origins, you know, who it affects people differently. So, I mean, you know, what's to say that, you know, one product that might be FDA approved versus something that's just, you know, you know, just drinking hot chocolate will get you in the mood. Who's to say, right? It affects people differently. Eating spicy foods, uh, you know, get people in the mood. From my personal experience, right, you know, eating spicy food has always been a great aphrodisiac. So, I mean, <laughs> makes a lot of sense, though, you know, why not? Um, why not, uh, you know, try some things that, you know, kind of have a, a cachet, you know, of that, you know, but, you know, buyer beware sometimes, though, because it can affect people differently uh, and just, you know, be mindful. That's true. 
Yeah, it really is different for everybody, especially with with supplements. You know, kratom does me a lot of good. I know some people who it just makes them feel shitty. Uh, right. These things vary, especially plants, where it's like a bunch of alkaloids and stuff. It's not as straightforward. Uh, I just make sure you don't have any like counterindications with any meds you're taking. Like, look for interactions, read up on it a little bit. Uh, but fuck it, I mean, give it a, give it a shot. I, I will say for uh, in increasing uh, the old the old libido, if you're into weed, that does it for a lot of people. That could be yeah. another good potential thing to try. Eat it edible or something. I don't know. Uh, but again, it you know it's different for everybody. Yeah. So maybe give it a shot. Take a swing at it. For sure. Yeah, weed always did it back when I back when uh, I could indulge. Back when it was allowed. Yeah, back when it was allowed. Back when my psyche permitted it. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Man, I have some good memories about banging on weed. <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, hey, maybe maybe we'll explore uh, explore those in a future episode. Yeah. Maybe behind so, the paywall. Who knows? Exactly. We did, a, we did a Patreon episode that was an alcohol retrospective. Why don't we do a cannabis retrospective on the Patreon? That'd be pretty good. Good times. Good times. Uh, you know what else is good times? What's that? Having our guest Will Nguyen on. Yeah, buddy. Love it. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. We're so happy to have you. Uh, where can people find you on the Intertube? Sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at the Star Trek Communist, uh, specifically at Boomer Niner. Um, and then you can also find me on Instagram. Uh, Proletarian Trek is the handle. Um, so I, I, I keep things like, uh, Arthur mentioned pretty locked in on, on my, my two passions, but, uh, I was talking about other things too. Love posted food pictures. I'm very basic in that way, but I do love a good food picture. I do love a good, um, you know, talking about other types of sci-fi too, not just Star Trek too, but, uh, you can also find me, um, doing a lot of the political work that Arthur mentioned too, with my organization, Socialist Revolution, check us out at socialrevolution.org. And our international website, Marxist.com. You want to actually do that in person when we can actually be in person again, type of political work, handing out, you know, commie literature to people. Uh, surprisingly, people actually love that information. They don't, they're not running away from it. So uh, Marxist.com and socialrevolution.org. Hell yeah. Well, we'll put links to that in the description too. If you're interested, uh, head on there. You can click Uh, our intro song this week uh, was the track "Music" uh, by Daft Punk. It was a B-side to "Defunk" back when they released that album. And uh, man, it—they're uh, done and sad. Not ideal. Yeah. Uh, but hey, we're gonna go out on uh, "Voyager," also by Daft Punk. My personal favorite song by them, uh, a song that has brought me great peace in some panic attacks. I don't know. There's a calming quality to it. I think it's very pretty, very uh, kind of atmospheric and chill. Uh, and so I figure we go out on that. And uh, also podcast audio record. I've been saying this for 10 years. Play that at my funeral, please. I think that's a good, uh, I think that's good going out music uh, in the big way going out. Anyways, Voyager by Daft Punk. You can find them fucking everywhere because it's Daft Punk. <laughs> oh, man. I, I remember um, being a young man and trying to play it for my friends who were like into Disturbed and, oh. uh, and Trapped and shit and watching them just be like, what is this? This is stupid. And then years later, they're like winning a Grammy and they're like dominating the entire planet. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's a hell of an arc with them. And, uh, I'm happy to have in, in my little, my little way, uh, to feel like I've been a part of it being a fan for all these years. Good times. Bon, as the French say, bon voyage. I love you. Thanks. Bye. Mwah. <laughs>